Well, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's really good to be back with you guys today. Some of you might be thinking, well, you were gone? <laughs> but yes, I was. I was gone. I, I was only gone uh, for, for one Sunday, um, but I was gone for a week uh, outside of Houghton and, and missed our Sunday worship time together and a couple Lenten Wednesday services. And, and so it just feels really good uh, to be back with you all. So uh, good to be with you this day. Uh, the week before last, I was traveling uh, with students from our student house and some of their classmates uh, from Michigan Tech down to Detroit to serve the city through a ministry called Camp Restore. A Camp Restore partners with uh, some of the community leaders down there, folks who have lived in Detroit for decades and who are trying to enact positive change in the city, uh, cleaning it up, uh, making it safer uh, for the kids, and you'll see more about all of this in a video we're going to show you uh, later on in our service. But I bring it up because it was in Detroit uh, that I saw a t-shirt that had a message that, that struck me. The t-shirt uh, said this. It said, believe there is good in Detroit. But some of the letters were in a different shade. They stood out, and those letters spelled, be the good. I'll show you a picture of it. Be the good. Believe there is good, and be the good. The shirt was making a connection between believing and being. And it's kind of a bold statement for the city of Detroit, if I'm honest. Uh, because at first glance, when you go down there, there's not a whole lot that you see that would give you reason to believe there's much good going on in Detroit. There's mostly just a lot of trash blowing around the vacant lots in, in neighborhoods that uh, 75% of the houses aren't even occupied. And as you drive by each abandoned and dilapidated house, any good vibes you might have had about Detroit start to evaporate. And I witnessed this uh, really firsthand with uh, the mechanic down there who helped us out, uh, a mechanic who helped fix our church van, actually, after a piece of it was sawed off and stolen. <sighs> this mechanic, he, he kind of demonstrated the hopeless attitude you might expect from someone living and working in Detroit. You see, he didn't really believe that there was any good in Detroit. Just a lot of bad people who dirtied up the city and made it dangerous, but who at least generated enough business for his shop so he could keep it open and stayed there. But then there were these other folks. They called them community leaders, George, Sandra, Mose, people who were devoted to being the good in Detroit. They were seeking the welfare 
of the city, opening up community gardens, starting community centers where teens could have a place to hang out, and kids could be tutored, and adults receive counseling. They wanted others to see what they saw, that there, there was good in Detroit, and that there was a hope and a future for this city. And it was that vision and that belief that spurred on how they were. It spurred on their being, what they chose to do and how they lived. Believing and being. And it's with that frame, believing and being, in which I've kind of been thinking about Daniel over the last week, especially as we're coming to a close of our uh, study of Daniel. As a church, we've been going through the book of Daniel for the last uh, 10 weeks. And last week, we heard uh, Pastor Aaron, as he kind of peeled back the uh, angelic curtain, the spiritual curtain, so that we could see this warfare uh, going on in a realm we, we might not often think about. And that was as the angel Gabriel came to deliver a message to Daniel to strengthen him. And so this week, uh, this week we're going to be wrapping up the final chapters, chapter 11 and 12. Now, I'm going to tell you right out the gate, I'm not going to talk about chapter 11 at all. Uh, Chapter 11 is another chapter, much like chapter 8, uh, which deals with these very specific visions and prophecies that are actually fulfilled in history. It's really cool stuff. And so if you haven't been with us for this uh, Daniel journey, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon on chapter 8. You can access it at copperluth.org slash Daniel. Uh, We've got the link on the screen there for you. But if you have been here for this full Daniel journey with us, and you're interested in what's behind chapter 11, my encouragement then is to uh, check out the Lutheran Steady Bible and its footnotes, the tiny little notes at the bottom On chapter 11, those are really detailed. Uh, Or I would recommend to you a book called Against the Flow uh, by John Lennox. He does an amazing job of detailing the visions and their interpretation and has been really uh, formative for me in my understanding of the entire book of Daniel in this series. But for today, as we wrap up, I I just want to consider the connection between believing and being. For Daniel. For Daniel also lived in a city that was littered, littered with hopelessness, at least for the Jews. I mean, they were were exiles in this land, after all. It was a land that, that didn't feel like home, not as they remembered it. It was a land that had leaders who were pushing agendas that railed against God's vision and His good plan for humanity. Babylon was a dark place for the Jewish people. But in it, Daniel stood as a light and week after week, we have marveled at this man, Daniel, and kind of the, the bold way that he lived out his faith, even in this foreign land, standing up for what he knew was, was right, even in the face of opposition. 
Daniel seemed to live by his, his namesake, Daniel, which means uh, God is my judge. Daniel knew that no matter what happened to him in this life, that his life was in the hands of God. And it was this belief that spurred Daniel on to how he lived out his life, his being, what he chose to do. Which makes me wonder. It, it makes me wonder what Daniel's face looked like, actually, when he heard the angel's pronouncement in our text today from chapter 12. The angel was sharing with Daniel about what would happen in the future. And honestly, it looked pretty grim for the people. There shall be, the angel said, a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation until that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. And you might imagine a look of horror on Daniel's face, or, or maybe him he has so many times when he's received these warnings of, of oncoming trouble. But I actually see a knowing smirk etching its way across Daniel's old wrinkly face, weathered from all of his years in Babylon. I see Daniel reflecting back on his whole life. How many times had he experienced this same pattern, trouble, but then deliverance? God had seen Daniel and his three friends through the exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. When he and his friends were pressured by the, the rulers in Babylon to conform to their ways and to, to eat and drink that which was forbidden, God opened up doors for them to remain steadfast. God revealed Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel when death was on the doorstep for all of the wise men in the land. And he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even when they were standing in the midst of the fiery flames of Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. And Daniel himself was, was rescued up out of the pit of lions. God preserving Daniel and, and punishing Daniel's persecutors, those malicious accusers in the king's court. How could Daniel trust that he would be delivered from, from each of these outcomes as they were happening, each of these obstacles? Well, it goes back to his namesake. God is my judge. Or as the angel put it in our text today, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Written in the book. That language, written in the book, it, it refers to an ancient practice that archaeologists have actually uncovered. It's talking about a, a roster of the names of all the citizens uh, of a city or a town. They would keep books of those names. And so what we learn here is that, that God already has a roster of His city, the names of those who will belong to His city, the new Jerusalem, the place that we all hope to spend our eternity. 
the names are already written in the book. And Daniel, he believed that his name was one of those names. And it was that belief that spurred him on to live so courageously and boldly. My dear friends in Christ, it is by God's grace in Christ Jesus that your name and my name are listed on that roster as well. Jesus himself has penned our names on that roster in his own blood, poured out for you and for me. It's as we just sang in, in our sermon hymn, my Savior paid the debt I owe, and for my sin was smitten. Within the book of life, I know my name has been written. I will not doubt, for I am free, and Satan cannot threaten me. Because for you and for me, there is no condemnation. That is your reality. God is your judge. And that's a very good thing. Because God will not judge us based on our own efforts, but on the merit of His Son in our stead. If you believe on His name, the good name of of Jesus, you will be delivered eternally. And so it's no surprise then that the angel, after bringing up the names found written in this book, that he would move right to speaking about the resurrection. It says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. This is our hope. This is our security. It's a future reality, but it shapes our being Today, it shapes who we are now. But there's also that second, more ominous half of the verse, right? And, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. But the verse goes on to say, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's also a future reality for many people. A people that you know. People that you work with. Maybe go to school with. Maybe even people in your own families. But it's not just a future reality. It's something that shapes their present now because there is a connection between believing and being. We are formed by our believed-in futures, which is one of the reasons why we see our own world littered with all the hopelessness around us. Because if you don't believe that there is a good, right, an ultimate good, God Himself If you don't believe that, then your being now, in one way or another, is stripped of hope. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, uh, For one, if you're a a naturalist, right? If you believe that 
that your being, your existence here on this earth is just the end product of an evolutionary cycle, that you are an accident of the universe. If that's what you believe, if that's your, your, your worldview, then your existence has no inherent value. There's no meaning to your life. Any meaning that you would find in this world is, is just self-contrived. You've given things meaning. And if that's the case, if you are the thing giving meaning to your world and your experience, but you yourself are an accident of the universe, then the meaning is meaningless, right? The whole system is flawed. It's stripped of any intrinsic meaning or hope. And yet so many today live this way, think this way, are being educated this way. Or, or if you're someone who uh, tends to find ultimate value and, and hope and meaning in the notion of, of love, and the kind of love I'm talking about is that Disney movie, happily ever after kind of love, or the kind you might hear uh, on really any song you would listen to on, on pop radio today, if that's where you are going to find your ultimate meaning in a human relationship, then you'll ultimately be disappointed because no human on the face of this earth, save one, will be able to fulfill all that you're dumping into that. And when that relationship ends, if you're in that relationship and it ends, your world is going to be shattered and broken and hopeless. Or you'll just chalk it up to, well, they must not have been the one. And you'll just keep on the hunt, the hunt for love, which is really just the hunt for hope. But the reality is, the one your soul is longing for is the one who has already immeasurably loved us by sending his son to die for us. It's the one who actually knit us together in our mother's wombs, who, who thought we were worthwhile to create. That's what your soul is longing for. And so it's no wonder, with all these other flawed futures floating around in our world, that there is such anguish and anxiety that, that Pastor Aaron mentioned last week. Because there's a connection between believing and being. And so what's the answer then? What, how do we solve this problem? I mean, for us, for those of us who hold on to this resurrection hope, our, our souls are calmed. They're satisfied. But what about the rest of the world? When we turn to Daniel and see what the angel has to say, the angel answers it in verse 3, where the angel says, and, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, when the angel is talking about a wisdom, he's not talking about someone who went to a really good university and got some sort of impressive degree. He's not talking about street smarts or being wise in the way of the world. The angel is talking about the wisdom that Psalm 111 talks about. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all who follow His precepts have good understanding. Those who follow in the way of Jesus, they are wise. 
Those who listen to his voice, they will shine. Just as Jesus is the light himself, so too do his followers embody his light and reflect it out to the world. You, my friends, you are the light. Your belief in Jesus, it changes you. When you believe in Jesus, as you are believing in Him, His Spirit is working in you. It's spurring you on to the good that He would have you go do. See, we don't go out and do good things to to satisfy or, or placate God. No, the good things that we do is actually God Himself working through us and in us. This is why when When Jesus was asked in John's gospel, what must we do to be doing the works of God? This is why Jesus answered in this way. He said, Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Because there is a connection between believing and being So believe. Believe in the one who stood in your place, took your judgment upon himself so that God might judge you as righteous, spotless, blameless. And then be the good. Live it out. In your home, at your workplace, in your school. Be the good. And and if you're afraid that you're not doing enough good, if you sense that you're not seeing enough out of yourself, just return. Return to the source. Return to Jesus. Hear from Him. Talk to Him. Confess to Him uh, where you feel you've fallen short and, and share with Him this desire to be the good in the world. And He will answer that prayer. He will forgive you and He will walk with you. And I have to echo Pastor Aaron from last week. If you are feeling spiritually dry yourself and you want someone to walk with you, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Come talk to me or Pastor Aaron. We would love to walk with you and equip you and set you up uh, uh, to to walk well this, this faith walk. Because when we do that with each other, when we walk this faith walk together as a church, many will be turned to righteousness. As Jesus said himself in our gospel reading, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So have love. Be the good. Like Daniel standing as a light in Babylon or or like those community leaders in Detroit, believing against all odds that restoration will come to their city and then also doing something about it. Be the good. Believe in the good, the good name of Jesus, our good shepherd. Believe there is good and be the good. In Jesus' name, amen.